Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Have you ever had joint injuries? Or did you ever wonder if maybe you have a chronic problem with a muscle or a ligament or maybe some type of a joint problem that you want to have treated? Well, what if we would be able to harness the body's own natural ability to heal itself? We hear a lot about people who get medication, and I certainly prescribe it, and people who get injections but of, of things like steroids. But could there be a better way to handle joint aches and pains that might help really not just to help the body to rehabilitate but also regenerate a bit in the process? Well, today we are going to learn about some new, exciting, different areas that are being discovered right here in Honolulu and what's happening with regenerative medicine and rehabilitation right here locally. Now, I have Dr. Dwight Lynn in the studio. He is a graduate of Cornell. He went to Hahnemann Medical College, one of my uh, sister schools back in Philadelphia, and did his training at Harvard. He's been here since 1999, and this year was duly nominated to be one of Honolulu Magazine's top doctors in Hawaii. And you will soon find out why as we start talking. So we're going to define what it is that a physiatrist does, and we're also going to talk a little bit about what are some of the new ways that we can treat joint aches and pains that do not necessarily have to involve doing big procedures like surgeries or taking a lot of pills indefinitely. If you've ever had a joint ache or pain, this is going to be the show that will, in some ways, blow your mind, because a lot of the information we're going to talk about was new to me, too. Now, as always, you can call and join our conversation. Dr. Lynn is live here in the studio, and if you want to join us, our number is 941-3689. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. But without further ado, Dr. Lynn, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me on today. All right. Thanks for coming on. Now, we're going to be talking a little bit about this technique that you're using that a lot of other folks are definitely wanting to know more about. Um, and it's part of this whole process of regenerative medicine. But your training is in the field of physiatry, and a lot of people don't really know what that word means. Explain to me what is a physiatrist. So physiatry is a medical specialty, just like cardiology or dermatology. The difference is that as a physiatrist, we don't have one particular organ or body part that we take care of. Physiatrists are medical doctors that are specialists in treating injuries to the muscles, nerves, joints, uh, the spine that affect how you move and how you function. So if I were to throw out there PM&R, physical medicine and rehabilitation, is that kind of similar to what physiatrists do? Exactly. So PM&R is an abbreviation for physical medicine rehabilitation. The specialty is also known as physiatry. and uh, So that's a synonym. Mm-hmm. What if I throw out there sports medicine? So sports medicine is one of the aspects or one of the specialties within physical medicine rehabilitation. And as uh, we talked briefly about how physiatrists focus on function, there are some physiatrists that take care of devastating neurologic problems, strokes, spinal cord injuries. And, you know, the Rehabilitation Hospital of Pacific uh, is a facility that specializes in neurologic rehabilitation. But our clinic, uh, we're focused on musculoskeletal injuries and helping people rehabilitate from those things. And so it's not necessarily doing a big surgery. It's what you can do to help with joint problems and muscle problems without surgery. Exactly. Um, We are focused on helping patients 
optimize their performance. And, you know, I think um, an interesting way to look at it is that regardless of what we do, what kind of sports we do or don't do, we all have to function and perform in a certain way, whether we are uh, musicians in the Honolulu Symphony, whether we are a weekend warrior training for the Honolulu Marathon, or whether we are a caregiver or provider for a loved one, uh, we all have to function and perform in different ways. And so as a physiatrist, when someone comes to see me uh, for a problem, we do address very painful conditions, but we really want to focus on how that patient, how that person is functioning and how to optimize that. So kind of like orthopedics without the surgery, and or including anything where somebody is have, having trouble moving, whether it be because of knee troubles or muscle problems or back troubles, kind of, it's pretty much the whole entire skeleton. Uh, yeah, yeah. We actually... That's a way to narrow it down there. That's a, that's the a, whole body. That's a broad way to narrow it <laughs> okay. down. Okay. All right. And so you actually what? So, yeah, our I guess the model uh, system is something like, uh, you know, an orthopedic clinic like Stedman Hawkins and Vail where they have a lot of orthopedic surgeons working closely with physiatry um, at uh, Curl and Job, which is a you know, preeminent uh, orthopedic clinic in Southern California, Southern California Orthopedic Institute. These are you know, world-renowned facilities that are taking care of sports and musculoskeletal injuries. And by collaborating with physiatry, I think we're seeing really uh, great um, work between surgeons um, getting to take care of patients when they need surgery and physiatrists helping people understand what the diagnosis is and what their non-surgical options are. Okay, so that's, you know, you're never going to repair a broken hip by doing non-surgical treatment, but if your hip isn't broken, there's a lot of non-surgical things that can be done to help you. Exactly. All right. So tell me what the difference is between the way that things are often treated and ways that you've treated yourself and some newer ways to look at it. So, for example... You know, I had somebody come to see me in the office today, and they had some back troubles, and they had, you know, lifted something heavy. They shouldn't have. They lifted it up. They knew it was going to give them some problems. They started having back pain. The traditional medical response to that is often, let's give you anti-inflammatories. If that doesn't work, we'll consider other options. Let's do some physical therapy. And sometimes people choose chiropractic or some other type of modality. So that's sort of a standard approach. Somebody comes in, they have a problem, and we we treat the problem, and hopefully they get better. What's different about what you do in regenerative medicine? We are trying to use the body's own cells, and in a lot of cases, um, we are trying to nurture tissue recovery and regeneration rather than just taking a watch-and-wait kind of approach. Or like a bunch of pills. Or taking different types of medicines, exactly, that might just mask the problem or do injections that would just mask the problem. So for the past 17 years in practice, I've really... You're dating yourself there, 17 years. Okay. Um, You don't look it, but okay, 17 years. Almost two decades. Yes. All right. Yeah, it's a scary thought, but yeah, we're coming up on that. (laughs) But, um, you know, we've really used... I've relied heavily on using cortisone injections, very carefully placed. You know, we use live... uh, fluoroscopy or x-ray guidance. We use uh, ultrasound to make sure that we're delivering the medications to the right place. But I think regenerative medicine is a, is a different uh, perspective. It's a paradigm shift looking at when we're putting a steroid, a cortisone shot into an injured tendon, we're looking at more critically saying, what is that chemical doing to the health of the cells lining, to the, lining the joint? 
what is that going to do uh, in a long-term and short-term recovery process to help our patient return to functioning? Well, and that also gets to even using non-steroidal anti-inflammatory pills, you know, like ibuprofen, Aleve, uh, Advil, all those sorts of things, is that we're looking at giving someone a medicine that goes through their whole body that is hopefully going to help them with their back pain. But are we just masking the symptom today? And if so, will this not cause them to have this become a recurrent phenomena? So there's a role for using medication or injections, but now they're looking at, now you're looking at a different aspect of how to treat that person's injury. So let's talk about, let's pick a tendon. You, you pick a location. What's a common location where you see people have tendon injuries? So a common problem would be rotator cuff tendonitis. Okay, let's yeah. talk shoulder. So somebody comes in, they have shoulder problems, they have pain when they move their shoulder around, and they were to, if they were to see me, we'd probably start them on an exercise routine, give them some anti-inflammatories. If they didn't get better, I'd give them an x-ray. If they still didn't get better, I'd have them go see a shoulder specialist, see if they need an injection. So that might be how I do things now. Okay. Think about how this could change. How might I do things if I was a physiatrist who was doing regenerative medicine? How would you approach that situation differently? So we'd want to take a look first at getting a thorough history from the patient to find out okay, what well, happens. Okay, let's presume I took a history, Dwight. Okay. Okay. But all right, so, so continue. But I think that's crucial because you have to know what the mechanism of injury is. And again, Why is want, that so important? We want to be very precise in what tissue or what tendon or what muscle has been injured. And by taking a careful history and a physical examination, we can find out, uh, is this something involving the supraspinatus muscle So there's four muscles in the rotator cuff. And by taking a careful history, you could probably figure out which one of those four is the problem. Generally, generally speaking, that's, that's what we try to do. But there's other things, too. You know, we're looking for signs. Maybe there's a pinched nerve that's caused a problem. Maybe there's a bursitis that's caused a problem. Technology, like digital ultrasound that we use in the office. There's no radiation. It's cheap. It's fast. It allows us a look inside the muscle and tendon so we can see what the nature of the injury is. Perhaps it's something as simple as a mild bursitis. And well, now you've made me jealous because now you have this functional ultrasound in your office. Oh, yeah. It's a great, it's a great uh, tool to help us take care of patients quickly. Well, now I have ultrasound envy. Okay. So somebody comes in to see you, you take a careful history, and at what point might you employ the ultrasound? For certain parts of the body, tendons and muscles, we can get a good look. So we're talking shoulders. Shoulders, it's a great tool. So you could figure out exactly what the source is. You mentioned bursitis, you mentioned tendonitis, which particular tendon, and how would that change how you approach the person? So this changes the type of medication we want to use. For example, maybe it's a bursitis and all we want to do is get the swelling down. Maybe we'll see a partial tear in the supraspinatus or the subscap and we want to uh, put an injection strategically into the injured tendon uh, or perhaps there are certain rehabilitative exercises we'd want to use where we're going to de-emphasize pressure and force across the subscap or we want to protect the rotator cuff muscles while we're maintaining range of motion. So It affects the medication we're going to use. It affects where we're going to put the medication. It affects the type of rehabilitation we're going to do for that shoulder as well. So there's a lot that goes into somebody comes in and says, my shoulder hurts. Exactly. So let's let's just walk through a couple of these and say, all right, if they say my shoulder hurts and you decide it is bursitis, what would be an appropriate way to treat that? 
So it depends on how much the patient is functionally impaired. Perhaps so, it's something where they don't have any allergies and they have gotten good results in anti-inflammatories. They just want to know what to take. Okay. And oftentimes, anti-inflammatory is a great start. But let's say this patient can't sleep. They're really miserable with this pain. They can't, they're thinking about, you know, oh, I got meetings at work. I can't make it in like this. I'm just, you know, I'm snapping at people because it's so painful. Maybe we need to be more aggressive about getting that swelling down quickly. And we might aspirate, pull the fluid out, again, using image guidance to make sure that needle's in just the right spot. We still use some anti-inflammatories like cortisone, dexamethasone, sparingly, but increasingly in my practice, we are shifting more towards using techniques that are going to enhance the growth factors, enhance the cytokines that are involved with the healing process, rather than just trying to put a medication like cortisone just to get the swelling down in the, in the near time. Uh, same thing with the types of uh, analgesics we use. We use lidocaine. Again, I've used that for 17 years, joints, shoulders, uh, knees. But we're finding out now, combined with steroids, the lidocaine or bupivacaine can be very detrimental to the health of the chondrocytes, the cells, and the cartilage, and the tendons as well. So what are these cells, and what are they supposed to be doing that we're inhibiting by using certain medications? I think one way to think of the joint is almost like an organ. It's got cells that line the inside of the joint, the cartilage. You've got synoviocytes, which are also producing fluids to lubricate and make a healthy joint environment. And we used to think of osteoarthritis, let's take the knee, for example, as being just a wear and tear process. But now we're learning more and more that these cells are involved with secreting certain types of factors that are involved with keeping that joint healthy and making sure that the cartilage can regenerate, that the blood supply is good. As we age, we lose that microvasculature. We don't have as good blood supply, and the cells and the whole mechanism starts to break down. So when we are treating patients, we are trying to boost that whole mechanism by placing, strategically placing um, growth factors, whether it's coming from a uh, platelet, and uh, PRP is what people always ask about, or whether it's a uh, a, quote, stem cell uh, type of injection. But I think the goal is to deliver the body's own cytokines and cells to the area of injury better than it could do on its own. So if we were to think of all these different types of cells, they're trying to... First of all, I love the fact you said cartilage can regenerate. That just gave me and everyone out there hope that you can get older, but you might be able to get better. But when we're talking about these different types of cells, whether it be synovial cells or cartilage cells or any one of those, so there are certain things that are in their local area, whether it be in the synovial fluid, et cetera, that are like messengers. Mm -hmm. And the messengers provide nutrition and nutrients to help those cells function better. If I'm giving someone a cortisone shot, am I stopping the messengers? So that's one of the problems with the cortisone is it's a fairly blunt instrument. I'm stopping to stop the messengers. Now yeah. I'm stopping a bunch of good messages and bad messages. I'm stopping them all. Exactly. Okay. It's like taking really strong antibiotics. You kill the good bacteria. You kill the bad bacteria. Innocent bystander or not, you're gone. Okay. So by using cortisone, I might be stopping some of those good messenger cells in addition to the bad messenger cells. And you mentioned platelets, for example, and PRP. I want you to tell me a little bit more about what is PRP and how do platelets get involved in that? PRP is an abbreviation that stands for platelet-rich plasma, and that's a hot topic right now. You might hear about professional athletes like Kobe Bryant or 
uh, Maria Sharapova uh, getting these, uh, quote, blood injections. And I think one of the problems with the research is that uh, PRP that you get from, say, our clinic in Honolulu may be very different from PRP that you get at a clinic, say, in uh, California. And that's because the industry, the medical field, really hasn't standardized what the definition of platelet-rich plasma is. Yeah, it's so new. We haven't yet come up to any standardization. But in general, is the platelet and the plasma coming from you, yourself? So, yes, it's your own cells. So you do a blood draw, you take out blood, and that's where you're getting the platelets and the plasma. Exactly. So you're injecting something that's your own body into your body. Yes. It's not foreign. It's not unusual. It's your own body stuff. Yes. Okay. Because that's a question that actually has come up a couple of times. Maybe not to you, but to me. Where are they getting all this from? Well, in regenerative medicine, that's a topic we can talk about a little bit later. Is it always coming from you? And that's that's a very good question. We should definitely come back to that. But when it comes to platelet-rich plasma, that is typically from you. And what's great about that is that the likelihood of you, know, you can't reject it; it's yourself. It's your own. Um, studies have shown that that actually is less likely to cause an infection than a cortisone shot. Um, if you look at the types of uh, factors that are in the platelets, the platelets carry these little granules that have cytokines and growth factors in Messengers. them. Messengers. So when you uh, get injured. Um, the platelets are some of the first cells that arrive on the scene when the tissue is injured. That's how you get a blood clot. So when the platelets release those factors, um, we see some factors that are causing inflammation. We see some factors that are attracting cells in that fight off infection. And maybe those aren't the ones we want. Maybe we really want to harness the factors that are going to stimulate blood vessels to grow, that are going to stimulate uh, nerve regeneration or cell regeneration. That's what we're after. But you're right. It's a When the platelet shows up, there's a lot of different factors in there. Good guys and bad guys. But in order to stop the bleeding, you need those platelets to work. And if we could just harness the good guys, that could help provide more of the messenger to the injured area to work on healing in a more natural, almost holistic way. Let the body heal itself. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Dwight Lynn. He is from the Regenerative Medicine and Rehabilitation of Honolulu Clinic. And we are talking today about what is the latest and how to really help heal joint muscle tendon injuries in a way that is is going to help the body to recover and not necessarily just mask the symptoms. I think I'm a symptom masker, Dwight. I think I've been helping people mask their symptoms. And I, too, am learning today. As always, if you've heard of PRP, and we actually had a couple of callers who asked me about it, and I went, nope, never heard of that. I don't know what it's talking about. So now I can't say that. So if you've heard of PRP, or if you want to know, is this something that could be done by just anybody, or are there certain requirements on how to do it, hey, this is your chance to give us a holler. We are here live in the studio at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877 941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. One of the tensions around affordable housing is where to put it. Middle-class homeowners worry that introducing low-income homes will drive their property values down. They throw trash over the fence. I have to pick up glass bottles and baby diapers, and I literally just throw them back over. I'm Molly Wood. The battle over where to put low-income housing next time on Marketplace from APM. 
This evening at 6, following The Body Show. These walls really can talk if you take some time to learn what they're saying and walk in the footsteps of people from long ago. You walk through downtown Cusco and you're walking alleyways that were built by the Incas. Explore the Inca Trail in Peru, the legacy of the Ottoman Empire in Turkey, and the mighty castles of northern Wales. It's all in the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Dwight Lynn of the Regenerative Medicine and Rehabilitation of Honolulu Clinic. And this has become a mission of his to help us all to learn how to heal those folks who have joint, tendon, and muscle injuries in a way that is going to allow their body to do what it needs to all by itself. And in fact, in some cases, that may be more of the permanent solution that we are looking for. The body has an amazing ability to recover. And as long as we don't block that, good things could happen. Now, as always, if you've ever heard of, we just mentioned briefly, PRP, platelet-rich plasma. And we're going to talk about where would you inject it and why? And if you've ever had that done, I'd be curious to hear your experience. 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, before the break, Dwight, we were talking about platelet-rich plasma injections, and there's not really a standardization yet in the medical community. So, you know, you can find some studies that say it's great and some studies that say it isn't, but it might just be because we haven't standardized how to do it yet. So in your experience... Where would you be injecting platelet-rich plasma? And so we were talking about like shoulder issues and somebody who might have shoulder problems. And we said, hey, if there's a little tear, you might do something like this to the area that needs the healing. Where in the body do people get these injections? The most common places that we use uh, PRP would be uh, for rotator cuff uh, tendonitis, or I should say tendinosis, uh, for Achilles injuries or tendinosis. So that problem in the back of your heel, the mm -hmm. problem in the shoulder. Now you're making a difference between tendinitis and tendinosis. Why? If you look at the pathology or if you look at what's going on a cellular level when you injure a tendon, the tendinitis, which refers to inflammation or acute inflammation, is something that's fairly short-lived. And if you look at what happens on a microscopic level, those tendon fibers, you know, that microscopic tearing, um, once the healing process sets in, we like to think of normal tendon replacing that uh, injured area. But in reality, what can happen to some folks is you get scar tissue and other debris caught up in there, and that ends up some thickening uh, of the tendon and weakening of the tendon structure. And that's the tendinosis. And that's tendinosis. Okay. And so you mentioned you would do these sorts of injections potentially in the shoulder or in the heel, the Achilles area. Where else in the body? Common places for tendinosis are going to be uh, the lateral epicondyle, the side of the elbow, or tennis or golfer's elbow. And we also use it uh, increasingly for osteoarthritis in the knees. And so the goal is what exactly when you're using the platelet-rich plasma injections? What are, we're, we've just talked about how platelets have these really good messengers and sometimes not so good messengers, but they come rushing to an area of an injury and they bring along them some healing stuff. 
and we can give it names, cytokines and, and lots of different names. Um, but platelets bring this stuff. So now you're talking about taking platelets from a blood sample, spinning it down, taking the platelets themselves and injecting it somewhere. What is it we want those platelets to do? We want those platelets to release those growth factors into that area where the damage is. You know, we know that uh, the red blood cells are not good for uh, the joint. We don't want bleed. We want red. We do not want red blood cells in the knee joint, for example. But if we could take some of the growth factors uh, that are in the platelets, that will help nurture recovery for someone with mild ar- knee arthritis, for example, where the cartilage is roughed up. Uh, that is going to hopefully help that patient recover some range of motion and strength, and then they can proceed with the rehabilitation program to help further take pressure off that knee joint. So we're not talking about magic injections and then you're cured. We're talking about magic injections and then you still have to work on exercise, quadricep muscle strengthening, physical therapy. So the injections are supposed to help you so you can benefit from these other activities. It's not like you're going to get 20 of these in a year because your knee hurts. There's got to be some other thing that you're doing to help yourself. Yeah, and these are not, um, you brought up a good point. You know, I think when people first heard about Kobe Bryant getting these PRP or these blood injections. Yeah, I didn't hear about that, but I'm not necessarily up in the sports community. Oh, so, if, you, okay. if you look at uh, what happened in Google search, if you look at what happened with Google the, a sports guy, that would be rare for me, but I'm going to do it at the break. Well, if you look at the keywords, and okay. how they, there was a huge spike in 2009, basically people searching for PRP because this is all over ESPN, right? So um, basically... I think what's important to remember is that when we're putting these injections in, it's not magical pixie dust. You can't just, you know, stick a needle into a knee and and presume it's going to go to the right place. These factors, um, these cells, whether it's PRP, whether it's uh, stem cell type injections, and I use that term very loosely. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, They don't have a GPS device on them. You know, when we put a cortisone shot in, now, again, we've used cortisone for decades in medicine the cortisone is going to diffuse into the local tissues. The lidocaine or bupivacaine is going to diffuse. But when it comes to cellular treatment, we want to be as precise and specific as we can. So whenever we do these injections, we want to make sure we're using some type of guidance to make sure we're placing them in the right spot. And that's always going to be either uh, live ultrasound, if it's soft tissue, and sometimes, although increasingly less, uh, we use fluoroscopy or x-ray for that. And so if somebody's taking a bunch of anti-inflammatories already, they need to get off of those because that could potentially impair the whole process but also make them bleed more when you're doing the injection. So, yeah, the bleeding is an issue if they're already taking aspirin or Motrin. But more importantly, when you are taking those medications, you're actually blocking a lot of those factors from doing what they need to do, which goes back to rethinking. It goes back to that paradigm shift we were talking about. When we're putting anti-inflammatories like Motrin or Advil, when we're putting cortisone into an injured area of tendon or joint, what are we doing? Are we really providing the best healing environment for those cells? And I think clearly there's something better that we could be doing for our patients rather than just trying to get rid of the swelling. It is a paradigm shift, but I think a a well-needed one. Okay, we've got Ray on the line from Kapolei. Ray, welcome to The Body Show. Aloha. Aloha. I would uh, caution people with an injury not to discount alternative therapies. Uh, I had a personal uh, episode of a shoulder pain that went through uh, 
uh, three years of uh, x-rays, CTs, MRIs, physical therapy to no avail. And it was cured by a simple mechanical manipulation. The uh, long head of the bicep muscle had slipped off the groove of the uh, humerus. And once it was back in place, I had no pain whatsoever. Well, it's a good point, Ray. You know, sometimes the way that we traditionally do things doesn't seem to be healing everybody. And it's from efforts like yours to keep pursuing it and try something that we might consider alternative or complementary that actually gets you better. Dr. Lynn? So, Ray, I'd I'd like to ask you, who did you go see first when you injured your shoulder? Uh, My Kaiser uh, physician. So one thing I'd, I'd like to offer is that had you come see me with this shoulder pain, one of the first things we would have done after asking what the mechanism was and examining your shoulder, which might have pointed to a dislocated biceps long head tendon. Are you going to um, talk about that ultrasound that I'm ultrasound. jealous of? And we could have put that on there in, in less than two seconds. We would have seen that thing sitting out of the groove. So I think the digital technology has really uh, made a huge difference in terms of how we can quickly make a diagnosis and offer a treatment to a patient um, you know, and sometimes, sometimes patients need to see a surgeon quickly. And, uh, you know, we got to say these biologic injections we use, PRP and stem cells, you know, um, you can't always cure a biomechanical problem with a, you, you can't cure a biomechanical problem with a biologic injection, but it all starts with the proper diagnosis. You're talking more about that ultrasound again there, Dwight, because now I want one. But I think you're right. And unfortunately, Ray, I'm sorry you had to go through three years of trying to figure out what to do and three years of of presumed pain and discomfort. And then when you finally figured it out, boy, one little treatment and you felt dramatically better. And I think that kind of gets back to the whole idea of making sure that you take an adequate history, but also, if you don't get better, taking an alternative look to say, hey, what else could be going on out there? Do I need some sort of an imaging study? Because an x-ray shows bones. It honestly doesn't show tendons, at least it shouldn't, unless they're calcified, and it doesn't show muscles. And so if an x-ray is what we do, that may not get you a final answer. And even for my folks for whom, if they come in, they have some sort of joint discomfort, we'll just pick on the shoulder for now. If they don't get better, then we start taking it another step or doing something different. And that's that's when we start taking a look and saying, I haven't cured you. I need to get you to somebody who can think about this differently. And let's work together until you feel better. So good job, Ray. You kept going until you could find out what worked. And once you did, hey, you've definitely become a fan of of making sure that you pursue it. And you may call it alternative, but hey, it worked. So that was a good alternative for him. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, I think so. Okay, we've got Mike on the line from Waikiki. Mike, welcome to the Body Show. Uh, aloha, aloha. How's everybody? Hi, Mike. Okay, listen, I'm 61 years old, retired cop from Chicago, moved to Waikiki. Okay, I did have a PRP and a stem cell injection before I left, but didn't get any good results. What's your opinion on that for severe arthritis of the knees? Great question, Mike, because we were just talking knees. Dr. Lynn, if somebody's got severe arthritis and they're doing these injections and he's tried them, what do you think? It, at some point, is arthritis bad enough that even the injections won't work? I think for severe uh, end-stage arthritis, you know, a knee replacement or uh, at least a consultation with um, an expert orthopedic surgeon, is that's the gold standard. That's what you need to do. For mild uh, to moderate, you know, grade one or two, Calgren osteoarthritis in the knees, I think the, the data is uh, pointing very clearly that regenerative techniques like PRP 
and certain types of MSC injections can help a patient get their range of motion and strength. Will they still have pain? It should be, you know, we take pain in consideration, but equally important is going to be range of motion, strength, and functional. So even though patients may come in and ostensibly pain is what brings them in, I think as a physiatrist, we always want to know, uh, take a more thorough history in terms of how that's impacting their ability to function. Somebody come in and say, hey, my pain is still a four, but they say, but look, you know, I I can uh, I can walk for exercise again. I take the stairs at work. My knee doesn't bother me as much. You know, I wake up. That's in the still morning, a success. To me, that's that's because there's a functional, a functional improvement. improvement. All right. Uh, that type of success with a uh, severe uh, OA of the knee that would help. Well, it sounds like you know, Mike. We're getting a little bit of the wonderful trade wind breeze behind you. Um, but it sounds like Mike, what you're asking is, has there been any success with treatments other than PRP or even in addition to? for those folks who have the severe arthritis. And from what you're saying, Dwight, probably not if it's that bad. If it's end stage, you might still need to talk to your orthopedic surgeon about knee replacement. But I think the data is still, uh, it's still coming out showing that for mild uh, grade one and grade two osteoarthritis in the knees, there's a lot of evidence showing that can be very beneficial to help get your range of motion and strength going. But I would want to know, you know, what the concentration of the PRP was. I want to know where you had the stem cells drawn from. Was it from adipose? Was it from uh, bone marrow? You know, there are clinics. Um, they're international. They're not in the States. Uh, we can talk about the reasons why. Uh, where? Well, this is not the political show, so. Well, but in terms of um, why the FDA is saying okay. we, w- what we can or can't do within FDA guidelines to provide these biologic treatments. Um, and if you look at, uh, for example, a veterinary model, Ray, perhaps... Uh, if you were a competitive uh, uh, show animal, you would be eligible to go to a veterinary sports medicine clinic and get cultured stem cells and get millions of high-grade stem cells injected into a damaged area. But as humans, because of uh, regulatory uh, compliance that we need to follow very carefully, we can't be culturing out and putting in those types of concentrations of cells into our patients right now. So I guess the answer is, we still have um, regulatory issues to overcome. Um, the data is still coming out in terms of how much stem cell treatments can help these types of problems like your arthritic knees. But ultimately, I, I don't think anybody in regenerative medicine could say that uh, you know it's, it's a magical cure-all. It definitely is not. I think like anything else in medicine, there are certain indications where it can be very helpful. But uh, fortunately in Hawaii, we have some excellent orthopedic surgeons on hand too. Well, and that's that's really the idea is that we're certainly not saying all or none, but rather, hey, we have this new option that is in between where you're at and hopefully not needing, but maybe Mike needing a surgery. And so when you get to the point where you need a surgery, again, if it's that bad, if you can't function, then that's really the answer. This is not instead of, but maybe in addition to other what we consider to be standard treatments for arthritis. This is another option. But when you get to a certain point... That's kind of where you're at. Yeah. All right. We've got Zachary on the line from Kailua. Zachary, welcome to the Body Show. Hi, Zach. Hello, Dr. Hello. Get nice and close. I can't hear you so good. Okay. Oh, there you are. All right. Okay. Hey, um, I had a a lot of success with proliferation therapy um, at a naturopath in Manoa, Dr. Birchop. And, um, yeah, my shoulders were completely shot. I had, like, barely raised my arms. 
and uh, I went in for 10 weeks of injections, and uh, for seven years now, my arms have been 100%. I'm curious, Zachary, what were they injecting in your shoulders? Do you know? Um, I think it was a combination of fructose and then, of course, a local anesthetic and um, glucosamine and joitin. Okay. So after you did that particular series, you said, of 10 different uh, injections, you felt like your shoulders were better and you, you could move them. Oh, no. They, uh, they're 100%. They were about 50%. And after, you know, the therapy, you don't take any anti-inflammatories. You let the blood flow from the injections. You know, it, it creates a lot of uh, swelling. It feels like you've re-injured your shoulders you know, over and over again. But you ice it, you do your due diligence like you should have done, you know, early on and just do the proper procedures that we, you know, are supposed to do when we have injuries. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's fantastic. All right, Zachary, thanks for sharing your experience with us. Dr. Lynn, that kind of goes along with what you were saying, which is the body has an ability to heal itself and certain things that we might do to the body can help to accelerate that healing process naturally. So although it may not be the same exact thing that Zachary was getting from his naturopath, it sort of follows the same idea. Yeah, actually, Kathy, um, on a bit of a aside there, I don't know, you and I both went to school in Philadelphia. We did. I'm not sure if you realize, did you know that Hahnemann Medical School, school my alma mater, was the last homeopathic medical school in the country? Yes, I did. Okay, now I don't... I'm not saying I'm a homeopathic physician. I'm not at all. I'm a medical doctor. I train at Harvard, and we, we do things uh, looking at the evidence-based approach. But um, there are some types of naturopathic techniques we use in the clinic. Um, and you know what? Sometimes they work. Yeah. And there, there's actually a recent study. Uh, one of the types of injections we use um, is, uh, is a homeopathic extract. Uh, has some components of arnica. Um, and a recent study came out in one of the rheumatology journals, which showed a study of about, I think it was about 300 patients, and they looked at uh, outcomes for knee osteoarthritis, range of motion, function pain. They had a double-blinded placebo study looking at uh, that versus saline. And they had, uh, they had good results for these patients with knee osteoarthritis. So again, we use these techniques in the office, but I think what's, what's really important is to understand what, what do you... Dr. Lynn, what are you putting in there when you're putting in um, this injection, which is a naturopathic treatment? Well, if you look at the molecules, we're trying to understand, are there certain interleukins that are being triggered? Are there certain cytokines that are being stimulated? These are our good messengers. And some types of preparations may actually have a plant-based type of corticosteroid, which is something we don't want. But if it's going to be something that's stimulating some of those cytokines, I think that is something that, as a regenerative specialist, we're definitely open to employing. Sure, it could be another way to stimulate good messengers. Right. All right. So we are definitely uh, interested and curious, Zachary, and it sounds like you found a way to heal yourself. And again, that's the whole idea, is that not everything can be cured by uh, pills or injections. And some things can get better with other sorts of treatments. And we're, we definitely are at the forefront of looking at a variety of different types of modalities because, you know, we're not getting younger. 
and I include myself in this category. And as a result, we kind of want to make sure that there's other ways to treat things that could be a little more effective than just taking ibuprofen for the rest of your life if you have knee arthritis or something along those lines. There's got to be something better out there. And it turns out the body may know what's better out there the whole entire time. We just have to listen and do a little bit more of holistic approaches to things because it it works in conjunction to, in addition to some of the things that we've been doing all along. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Dwight Lynn. He is from the Regenerative Medicine and Rehabilitation Clinic of Honolulu. When we come back, we have a couple more very patient callers in the line, and we're going to talk some more about what is the future of treatments like this and where might they be able to be employed even more often or even better in areas of the body that we haven't even looked at yet. As always, we are welcome to hearing your call and your experience, and you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Hang on, we'll be right back. Greg Field uses poetry to connect with his grandfather's Potawatomi Indian roots, as in this excerpt from Passing. The pilot returns a hero in some other city. His medals and commendations never reflect the woman or the two half-breed kids. Greg Field reads from Blackheart and is joined by his book publisher, former Kansas poet laureate Denise Lowe, on New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30. On Friday, December 4th, the Pacific Harp Project releases their first CD of jazz, pop, and original music for harp and rhythm section with a concert in the Atherton studio. To hear the new sounds of the Pacific Harp Project, purchase your tickets at hbrtickets.org or by calling 955-8821 during HBR's business hours. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership, Wealth Management. Aloha. Welcome back to the studio. This is Dr. Kathleen Kozak here on The Body Show, and I've got Dr. Dwight Lynn sitting right here next to me. We are live in-house right now talking about platelet-rich plasma injections and more regenerative ways to treat our bone, joint, muscle, tendon, spine areas that, for some folks, give them a lot of troubles as we get older. And we've got a couple of patient callers on the line. If you also want to talk about it, if you've ever had PRP, which is something that I'm learning a lot more about today, we'd like to hear about your experience. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We have Tim on the line from Kailua. Tim, welcome to The Body Show. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for being so patient there, buddy. What can we do for you? Uh, I had a skiing accident in February of 14 and uh, had what they call a slap tear and got a, seems to be a minor tear in my labrum. And uh, been to, I've got a good doctor, got a good sports medicine guy, uh, and I've been some, through some physical therapy. But uh, my one passion is swimming, and that's probably the one thing that gives me the most trouble uh, dealing with uh, the discomfort and inability to swim sometimes because of that. And I'm just trying to find out if there's anything that Dr. Lynn has in his arsenal that uh, might be of use to me. That's a great question, Tim. And I'm curious, you know, Dr. Lynn, can you tell us a little bit more about what is a slap tear and what is the labrum? Because Tim knows what it is and you know what it is. And I could guess, but I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Describe for us what part of the body is talking about what it is. The shoulder joint is shaped kind of like a a very small 
ball and socket type mechanism. And it's a very shallow ball and socket. So it's kind of shaped like a golf ball sitting on a tee. And uh, in order to keep that golf ball sitting on the tee, to keep that joint aligned, you have this soft uh, cartilaginous lip-like structure, and that's the labrum. And um, it, uh, it can be torn. Um, and there are muscles, the rotator cuff muscles, which attach nearby, which help also keep the joint centered. So I guess my question for you uh, would be, and you can call me Dr. Dwight or Doc, however you like, um, the question would be, are the other muscles and tendons involved with the rotator cuff, were they injured, or is it solely the, the labrum? Well, I guess that's part of my question also. They did an MRI, and I went to an ortho guy, and he said he could see a small tear at about the 12 o'clock position, and he didn't want to operate. And at the time, we um, I was having sleep problems, and we went with um, conservative work with a physical therapist and stuff like that, and things seemed to resolve uh, for a while, but now I'm back to this problem every time I swim I have a, a problem at that same 12 o'clock position and it radiates down and I it gets loosened up with my sports medicine guy but then it it doesn't last very long and I, I think you're right there's probably other muscles there that may be damaged but nobody's given me that that um, uh, diagnosis yet so yeah the labral tear can be very difficult to treat and I think a lot of times when it comes to deciding on surgery and you're trying to weigh the pros and the cons it's nice to have a discrete lesion uh, that a surgeon is going after so they can make sure they're going to repair it it's a higher likelihood you're going to have a successful surgery then but I I would want to know more about uh, the, the pain that you have when you say 12 o'clock position are you saying that um, when you're swimming and you're bringing your arm up out of the water, it hurts at that point? Or is it more when you're starting to pull down? Or um... Yes. Uh, the, it's one of those things that it's uh, – when I first start swimming, I can manage it. But then if I, the harder I swim and the longer I swim, the more it gets more and more painful at the 12 o'clock position and then starts radiating down. And it'll last it'll, – it'll be that way, you know, for at least 24 hours, and then I have some stretches I can do that have helped alleviate it, but it's it's an ongoing thing. And then I've read about some of the shoulder surgeries for people my age, and they said that it's, you know, there's, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only 64 in pretty good shape, but they say shoulder problems become, um, you end up with stiffness, and I certainly don't want to go there. So I was hoping there were some other alternatives. Yeah, and sometimes um, for your age, um, changes in the shape of the labrum and the condition of the labrum can actually be kind of age-related too. So I'd be curious to take a careful examination of your shoulder, um, examining it um, in the office, and then also taking a look with the ultrasound. What's great about ultrasound is that it is not a static image. You know, when you get an MRI done of your shoulder, you're laying flat on that table for an hour. And when we use ultrasound in the office, this is a dynamic examination. We can see a partial tear open up a little bit. If there is going to be some impingement, we can see a swollen bursa bunch up underneath the uh, edge of the acromion there. So it's a, it's a great look into the function of the joint and the muscles nearby. So I'd say that's a, that'd be my first, my first step for, for your situation, just take a careful exam with the ultrasound. 
All right, Tim. So it sounds like there may be some hope for you and doing sort of a functional study. Because you're right, Dr. Lynn, you're told at the MRI, don't move or we won't see what we need to see. And yet for a lot of joint issues, the best way to find out what's going on is while you're moving. So the only imaging study that you can really do right now while moving in an office is that ultrasound that I still have envy of from earlier this hour, because it sounds like it really dramatically changes how you approach something. It's invaluable. And then, again, when I put that injection there, he mentioned that there looked like there was a small tear. We can see the PRP or MSC, that uh, quote stem cell injection, we can actually see that being placed into the area of the tear, which is so different than we've used cortisone injections in the shoulder for the past 50 years. I mean, how many... And I'm not asking you this to put you on the spot, Kathy, because I've done plenty of, quote, blind shoulder injections where I just felt the bony landmarks and put the needle in until I started using ultrasound years ago. But when you look at the anatomy, when you're putting that needle into that shoulder, you don't know if you're under the skin, subcutaneous tissue, if you're in the deltoid, you don't know if you're in the footprint of the tendon, or if you're actually in the bursa where you want to put that needle. If you look at the shape of the bursa on the ultrasound, it's actually about one to two millimeters thick, like a deflated balloon. That's so, kind of a hard place to go to. So you can put me on the spot because I don't do joint injections. Okay. All right. So I got to tell you, okay. I don't miss because I don't <laughs> do them. Um, but I understand what you're saying. And part of the reason that I don't do them is because there's always that question, are you in the right place? And yeah, with experience, you can get really good at it and you can kind of know where you're at. But I don't know. I've just never been the proceduralist. So my folks are safe in the fact that I will not be misinjecting them because I will not be injecting them. But I understand your point, And it's very validly taken, which is you have to first get a really good diagnosis. And if you're going to do some kind of an injection with anything, you have to know exactly where you are, where you're going and what that injection is supposed to do. And so it makes a lot of sense to have imaging. Who wouldn't want to? I mean, I've got a backup camera on my car, and I can drive a car without it. But boy, it's so much nicer to be able to see in the little camera if I'm about to hit the curb or not. That's a great analogy. Yeah, I need a backup camera. I've gotten dependent on it now. (laughs) And uh, if you ever see me on the road, you'll see why reverse is not my best gear. Okay, we've got a couple of other callers on the line. We've got Mike on the line from Wahiwa. Mike, welcome to The Body Show. Hello. Hello, Mike. What can we do for you? Well, let's see. I have uh, uh, back problems. I have uh, compression of the L5-S1 disc, and um, it causes me quite a bit of pain, but I don't really have uh, radiating pain down the legs, um, at least not uh, shooting pains. I do have some sensations going down. Uh, the problem is I feel like I've been kicked in the back by a horse all the time, and um and so, you know, I'm taking the drugs and the painkillers and stuff, and I was wondering um, if the doctor had anything in his, uh, his toolkit that might be able to help me. Yeah, it's a good question, Mike. You know, is there something else that can be done for compression of the spine? So we already have the compression and presumably of, of the bone or of the disc. Once that physical change has happened, is there anything that can be done? It depends on what is limiting you. If you're saying that you've got this severe shooting pain down the leg. And he said he didn't, so there's no sciatica. Um, Or if you're saying this is really axial pain and you're saying that when you're moving a certain way, turning a certain position, the pain is worse. Or if you're saying no matter what you do, the pain is just there. Um, There are definitely... No matter what I do. No matter what you do. There are definitely um, conditions for which uh, I've used 
cortisone injections for the past 17 years, and I will probably still use them for certain situations where we want to just get rid of inflammation. Um, but whether it's a facet joint, one of the joints in the spine, or whether it's uh, an injured disc or a tear in the disc, the studies are coming out now showing that there are options for regenerative techniques. Uh, some of my colleagues are using uh, PRP um, for epidural injections. I think that um, there was a study that came out of the Hospital for Special Surgeries uh, this past summer, uh, the uh, use of PRP, okay, this is not stem cells, uh, PRP for interdiscal tears has been shown to be effective in reducing a lot of that axial back pain. So it comes down to what the diagnosis is and also, you know, where and how carefully you can put the treatment there. So it's difficult to say if this would help you because I, I don't have all your scans and your physical exam handy. But I think that um, if you haven't seen a physiatrist to do an assessment, a functional assessment, and look what the options are, that might be something to ask your you know, primary care doctor about. Um, I'm not the only physiatrist in town. Um, we, we are unique here uh, at my office in that we really focus on regenerative medicine rehabilitation, but by no means am I the only physiatrist in town. And so, you know, it sounds like Mike has some options that he can pursue more than just living with a constant problem in his back all the time. Sure, definitely. Okay. All right, good. I hope you heard that, Mike, so that uh, you can take the next step and do what's best for your body to figure out what you can do to be more functional. Okay. We've got Pearl on the line from Paoha. Pearl, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, Pearl. Hello. I, um, I have been told that repeated injections of cortisone may injure the joint. What do you think? It's a good point, Pearl. We're talking about cortisone and what are some of the other options. And if cortisone was a fix-it wonder drug, we would all get it injected everywhere all the time. But there are actually some concerns. Dr. Lynn? Yeah, the studies clearly show that repeated cortisone injections, and those would be medicines like Kenalog or betamethasone, do have uh, a cytotoxic effect on the chondrocytes. And those are the cells that line the cartilage. Um, also, the synoviocytes, which are the cells that line the joint and in addition, the injection is usually accompanied by an anesthetic, and clearly certain anesthetics that we use, bupivacaine, lidocaine, are much more detrimental. In our practice, we try to, again, nurture tissue recovery. We try to use rapivacaine where we can. It's less cytotoxic for a lot of those cells. So those are good questions, Pearl. I think that you know, when, whenever you take a medication, you want to make sure you're educated about what am I putting in my body, and uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure that we're, we're putting in the best that we have to get the tissues to heal up. When we use cortisone, we use it very sparingly. And if it's something that's requiring more than one or two or three injections within the span of a year, I think it's important to look at uh, the structure, uh, anatomy, step back again and say, are we, are we treating this the best we can? All right, Pearl, great question. And you heard right. Too many cortisone injections in any particular joint may not be getting you to a to the place where it's actually going to work or it's going to heal. There are some potential risk factors for anything, so keep an eye on that, but you heard correctly. Okay, we have time for one quick last caller. Tim, we've only got about a minute. Tim from Manoa, what can we do for you? Hi, Tim. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I would like to talk about alternative medicine. Well, uh, you have I'm got a, a minute to talk about it, 60, and you were... I'm a 61-year-old guy here, and I've tried everything with my PCP, 
And uh, finally, uh, she referred me to her OBGYN, and they put me on hormone therapy. And the T-shot, my T-level was so low, and so uh, the shots are working. It's working really, really well. It's so, the best thing I've ever done. So, Tim, you got hormone injections of testosterone from an OBGYN. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, you know, lots of people expand their practice, not usually to other genders, but it sounds like it worked for you. So, all right, Absolutely Tim. Absolutely, it worked. Okay. You know, I think testosterone is something that definitely there are a lot of people out there who need to have it replaced and having it measured and having replacement and having it done carefully can actually make you feel better. And one of those side effects is that it does make you feel stronger and your joints may not um, ache as much. So there are some other benefits to it that are not necessarily just to bring your testosterone to a certain level. A lot of people feel better when they use that. So you know, I can't believe it, Dr. Lynn. It has almost come to the point where the hour is up. I know that there are a lot of folks who want to hear more about what you're doing. How can they find you? Just Google DwightLynnMD.com, or you can also uh, contact our office uh, at uh, on the web, uh, rmrhonolulu.com, or you can also uh, have your uh, primary care doc, your physician, or if you want to just call up for an appointment, 528-5500. We're at Queens in the Physician Office Building 1 in Honolulu. Okay, and that phone number again for those folks who went, i got to get a pen, quick, say it again. It's 528-5500, or just Google Dwight Lynn MD in the Google search box. Okay, because a lot of folks, I think, want to take a slightly different approach to what they've been doing. Maybe they don't want to take medicine all the time. Maybe they want to do something a little bit more holistic. And I think what we've discussed today is one of what will hopefully in the future be many different options for people to help with joint health overall. Where do you see it going, Dr. Lin? We've got about 30 seconds. Where do you see PRP going? Do you think we're going to eventually standardize how we do it and get a chance to see a little bit more of the long-term efficacy? I think that's what our field is about. Regenerative medicine is really an evidence-based approach to using these uh, cellular technologies, and uh, I think that's the best way we can help our patients in the long run. Um, you know, these conditions we talked about are very expensive burden to our society in terms of you know, dollars and also functional impact. And so I think that by taking an evidence-based approach to these technologies, we're, we're going to help our patients and, um, you know, uh, help our uh, society in general. Absolutely. I would agree. I think it's just taking a, a different look at something we've done all the time and said, is this the best way to do it? How can we use technology to help us do it even better? And I still want your ultrasound machine. I'm going to come by and have you show me how to use it in action so I can feel like I could get one too. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today, Dr. Lynn on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here live on The Body Show. See you then. Woo!